0: take our bibles now if you have a bible or new testament go to luke chapter 19 luke 19 luke chapter 19 is where we are in the series we're in that leads us up to easter and through easter is a series called jesus who is he we know jesus is the savior of the world and the mr compassion if ever there were mr compassion loves children but loves old people loves young and old seems to find a way to minister to the business person and the disenfranchised. We're not sure how he does that. We just know he's a winner. And everybody wants to be a winner. And here's what I found is this. Even if you have to switch teams, you want to be on the winning team, don't you? We'll do it just for the thrill. You know, the last few weeks, any of you fill out the brackets for March Madness? Anybody? Yeah. How many of you were like wrong, like two games in, and then you scrubbed it, start over again, and you start again at you know, Sweet 16, you were wrong again by noon the next day? You, here's what we know, is that we want to be in the winning bracket, and so we'll pick teams, and then we'll even go online and pick maybe four or five fantasy teams. Why? Because we want them to get one of our teams into the Final Four. Losing teams lose fans, and winning teams get fans. Fair-weathered fans, we'll even take fair-weathered fans. We'll take any kind of fan we can get because when it comes to the tournament, you want want somehow to say to your friends, oh, yeah, I knew UConn would win. You know, I just knew they would take it home. But you you don't know that, you know, in February. You'd like to think that you'd know it somewhere earlier than they do. We we congratulate the NCAA champions. I I was really rooting for the girls, uh, the Maryland Terps weren't you I was hoping they would make it and when they didn't make it I was hoping Notre Dame girls would win but the Yukon girls uh, t- took home the the trophy I I just think it's amazing uh, the the play but to be able to predict the winners is exceedingly difficult isn't it you ever watched on TV a, a singer by the name of Susan Boyle remember the first time she was on yeah what was the response the first time she walked on stage what did the crowd do They laughed at her, remember this? And they went, oh yeah, how old are you, where are you from, where have you been singing, and you know, what do you want to be, and I want to be like Adele, oh yeah, okay, whatever. And then she opened her mouth, breathed in, and we began to cry in amazement. We were no longer laughing at her, we were crying with her when she dreamed a dream. And no one laughed her off. What I find to be funny of this is that in the responses, everyone's blown away except Simon. Simon said, I I knew all along she was going to be good. Remember that? (laughs) Like, I already had the winner's bracket filled out. Remember Simon saying that? I knew all along. And early on, he was laughing at her, and 30 minutes later, he's trying to sign her to a record contract, right? Yeah, because he knew a winner when he saw a winner. Everyone switches sides just to be on the winning side. And the same thing is true, whether it's politics, entertainment, publishing, apparel, industry, technology, we smile and agree, but the reality is we wanna be on the winning side. It's it's the reason you wear a shirt with a little crocodile on it when you're golfing, because your favorite golfer does. Somehow that's good luck, and it's a good omen for you to do that. And uh, your favorite golfer says, yeah, I wear that for good luck, and he spells luck, E-N-D-O-R-S-E-M-E-N-T, yeah. Yeah, it's luck to him. You know, in the public sector, that might be considered a bribe, but in the private industry, that's considered an endorsement. But in our heart of hearts, we want to be better than we are. We think we play better golf when we have the crocodile shirt on, or better clubs. I was out golfing years, eons ago, and I had a set of my dad's clubs and I was just, it was awful. It was just humiliating. I was just not good. I was built for football, okay? And I, I'm better with a bazooka, you know, on the golf course than I am a club, a set of clubs. And I'm with a banker, and we're in a fundraising event. And I said, yeah, I could golf better if I had better clubs. You ever done that? Just lie right through your teeth. Just, just lie. I was delusional enough to believe I had better clubs. I just, and my banker friend just said, hey, let, let me try that. He took one of my clubs. Bam! Put it right out to the green. Well, that was lucky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just not a good golfer. So I stay with the guys who can win. Because I just I want to believe. And I had the crocodile shirt on, too. <laughs> you would have thought I would have done better. We all want to be on the winning team. and And you see... All of that, all that loyalty, eventually becomes what we call worship. We wanna show our allegiance to something great, something greater than ourselves. Jesus has shown us in the last, uh, this is week four of the series, he has shown us that he is the son of man, he's totally with us in our struggle. He has shown us that he is a friend of sinners, people who would distance themselves from sinners, he actually draws close to them, and that's comforting to us. We learned last week that he's the anointed one. Today I want to talk about the fact that he is not just predicted and credible as the anointed one and incredible the closer you get to him, but we find him to be the king of kings. He is the coming king. Mike read it for us from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See that your king comes righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. That's a prophecy written 525 years before Jesus came. 525 years before he rode into the city. It's predicted the promised Messiah would ride in on a donkey. He would be the redeemer. Take a look at this clip and I'll be right back. Where is he now? He's just entered the city. On a donkey. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey. Where's he headed? Towards the temple. He must not interfere with Passover. God will bring his wrath down upon all of us. what Pilate will do if the crowds run out of control. Nicodemus, go with Marvellous. If he enters the temple, watch him. Do not from the Romans, Lord! We come in peace, Barabbas. People of the day didn't fully understand the scope of his kingdom. It was an internal kingdom of the heart. His vision was better because he had more information. He's the son of God. The people wanted the city to have freedom because of this oppressive Roman empire. I'm not sure we fully grasped that when we just casually read through the text. The movie seems to bring that to the forefront a bit uh, better for us because they wanted to be rescued but not from their sins they wanted to be rescued from rome they didn't want oppression and that gives a whole new perspective when they say he is the messiah he is the king this is insurrection when the roman empire would look at it now whether you've known christ for a long time or whether you are just now um, examining the claims of christ or you are trusting him or you're standing at a distance wondering if you should Understand this, that Christ will rule only in the hearts where he's allowed. An old English term for that, of, of that, is called lordship. It, uh, it speaks of Jesus Christ ruling in our hearts, and that's really the question. And that was the question, that's the question today, that was the question in Jesus' day as well. Would he be Lord? Would he be Messiah to them? Would he be king of kings? because ultimately we know this he is the winner it's prophesied he's earned it as the priest and we know he is ultimately going to be the king he will rule in every sense of the in every sense of the term he is the hero you're in Luke chapter 19 and in that passage early in the in the passage is the story of Zacchaeus Zacchaeus as you know the song was a wee little man a wee little man was he I don't like short people being called wee little men, but it's just so politically incorrect, that song will never be sung, you know, should never be sung. So why did I bring it to your memory? I don't know. But Zacchaeus was a short, probably a stout guy, probably a stout, you know, uh, uh, a little short guy who was a tax collector who commits his life to follow Jesus in faith. And he does it even at personal cost. He goes back to pay back the people that he's ripped off. And he pays them back over and over again. And, Zacchaeus, and Jesus says to him, I want to go to your house, Zacchaeus. I want to be with you. And, and even in his great sin and in, in his own heartache, uh, Zacchaeus knows this is the Savior and I want to trust him and I want to come clean. And, and I, the, what I'm amazed with is that Jesus is not put off by who we would consider to be one of the biggest betrayers, one of the biggest unloyal patriots, disloyal patriots. He's not put off by that. In fact, he says to Zacchaeus, let's do lunch. Let's get together. I want to go to your house. He is truly a friend of sinners. On a side note, I think it's important to remember too there's a misconception that Jesus loves people and then we, we bleed over in that love that Jesus condones everything everybody does. It's not the case. Just because Jesus loves Zacchaeus, it doesn't mean he condones his activities. In fact, he loves him so very much unconditionally that he doesn't want to leave him in his sinful state. Now that's true love. And when someone tells you, uh, oh, if you love me, you'll leave me the way I am. No, that's not true. If you love me, you'll help me be what I can be. And that's what Jesus does with Zacchaeus. He doesn't leave him in his sinful state. He challenges him. And by loving and accepting another person doesn't mean that you endorse everything about their life. I'm sure you get that, because that's the, that's the craze of the day today. Jesus cares. He cares too much to leave you where you are. He's not going to reject you because of your sin, but he certainly doesn't want you to stay there either. And so he calls Zacchaeus to a holy life, and Zacchaeus steps it up. And then later in, in uh, Luke 19, there'll be another story. He'll tell the story of a wealthy man who has his servants come together, and he gives them each some funds, and he says, I need to go away. They're going to crown me king in a faraway town. I'll be back. I'm going to give you each some money and then i'm going to call you into account it's an illustration really a parable a story of accountability and when he comes back the remarkable parable is that whether it's in cash or in talents or in property or personal gifting or whatever it is understand this the lord will call us into account now that's important to get in light of chapter 19 verse 28 now and after jesus said this he went on ahead to, to jerusalem And he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and enter it and you'll find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? The Lord needs it. Just say the Lord needs it. Verse 32, those who were sent ahead went and found it It was just as it was told them and they were, while they were untying the colt, the owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. Stop there. We have read this before, and we can almost play this out, can you not? As a child, you've done Palm Sunday, or you've thrown palms down the middle aisle of a church, or you've sung the songs, or whatever. And it's almost a flannel graph story. It's so clean, it's so sweet. But in reality, it's not. What these guys are doing is they're taking an animal that is not, does not belong to them. This is called horse stealing <laughs> in early American history. Not something you want to be known for. And they're going to ride a horse, by the way, did you get this? That's never been ridden before. Okay? I don't want to get on a horse that's never been ridden before. I have seen this in the movies, and that's plenty. This isn't going to go well is it? You have to break that horse, and, and so it's not an unbroken animal that's not really theirs, and scripture um, doesn't tell us what they're talking about while they're walking to go get this donkey. They, they really We don't have all the conversations, but you could just imagine what's going through their minds as they're walking. Um, do you really think we should take the colt? Yeah, he said to take the colt. We should take it. Do you think we should leave a note? We probably should. If you don't leave a note, it's like stealing. Yeah. Well, maybe, the, maybe Jesus knows the owner. Maybe he's prearranged this already. Maybe this is his cult. He just never told us that he owns some cults or that he knows the owner and he says, it's okay, he can borrow his cult anytime. And then he says, I, I hope this goes well. And by the way, do you have any bail bond money on you? Just in case this doesn't go like we think it might. We read the Bible with a finished perspective because we're seeing it from the back end, right? We've seen it and the story's done. But when they're living it out, they don't know how this day is going to go. And even John explains it. John chapter 12, at first his disciples didn't understand this. He really didn't get it fully, John 12, uh, verse 16, until the glorification, until Jesus rose from the dead. Then all of a sudden, all these pieces start to come together for them. And while we're reading with this with full perspective, what we fail to realize is this is prophet, this is priest, this is king, all in one. And, And we don't fully get our heads around that he was prophesied for hundreds of years prior to his coming but now he was he prophesied he is the prophet he is telling us things only we know about he has earned the right into our hearts he knows our he knows our heart of hearts he is prophet but that's not all he is priest he is the mediator between god and man he is the only one who can come between god and man and and hang on to us and yet hang on to the purity of heaven. He's the only one in all of human history that can do that. He is the true mediator, and he knows and he cares. That's the wonder of a priest. T- totally divine and yet totally human. But the story doesn't end there. He is, he is the king, and he wins and he rules. He will reign. Verse 36 now. And as he went along, people began to spread their coats on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in a loud voice for the miracles they had seen. Why are they praising God? Not because of his deity, not because of his forgiveness of sins, not because of the wonder of God coming in flesh. Why? They were praising him because they got to see these cool miracles. You see how, how shallow this faith is. It's this allegiance is. That's why it can turn so quickly. And they scream, verse thirty-eight: "Blessed is the king, who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest." John again, a parallel passage, uh, will will parallel this in a little more militant of a perspective to say that they actually took palm branches and went out shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They were really specific there. There's the king of Israel. And the Roman Empire couldn't tolerate that. And the religious sector said, we can't have this because you're going you're to run us into oblivion if you keep this kingship thing up. And yet the, the common people wanted a king because they were oppressed from this Roman Empire. And then they, quite frankly, felt oppressed by the religious Um, establishment of the day they wanted to pick their own king and here's 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 what it is they are no different than you and me wanting to pick the brackets for the ncaa championship we just want to pick winners right and they said we want to pick our own king we want our own way doesn't that sound like a bible verse yeah it does because the nature of man is is basically the same We want to do our thing, make our choices. Here's the deal. You can't pick the outcome to this. You could know the outcome, Jesus is the king, but you can't pick the outcome. Verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why, Why are they saying that? Because they know if you don't stop this king, messiah talk, Roman Empire is going to stomp us into the ground. They're gonna run us over. And Jesus replies, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones are gonna cry out. In other words, if you don't let the people announce this, something that you would never think will announce it, will announce it. That's how ridiculous this is. This is going to happen, Jesus says. So you need to get ready. And then something happens in the story that we barely see, and we always—not always, but oftentimes—go right past. But you, you have to kind of get a landscape of this. You've been driving um, a long distance, and you're in a rural area. It's wide open skies, and you're at an elevated place, and you know you see a town five miles away. But you can see that town in the dark because it's lit. But it's a long way away. But you can see it because you're at a different elevation. You can be higher or lower. That's what I think is happening here. Because he's, he's out to the Mount of Olives. He's going into Jerusalem. And they talk about going up and down and into the city. And usually that meant up in elevation. Some people think of up as north. And I do too. Probably like many of you do. But in that day, it probably meant up in elevation. And so he comes out of a mount. But he looks across to Jerusalem. Which is probably an elevated place as well. And there's a low spot in between. And he, he gets a view of the city. Now with that in mind... Verse 41, he approaches Jerusalem and he's, he sees it. You can see it from a distance now. And what does he do? He, he cries. Why? He cries because he looks and he realizes they are not going to take the Savior. The people who oppose him will oppose him to death. He's going to, he's going to enter that city And he will become the man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief and he will know as shepherd of our souls, because he's prophet, see, he knows what's going to happen. And because he's priest, he actually cares about what's going to happen. And because he's king, he knows he ultimately wins. But in this moment in between prophet, priest, and king, what does he do? He stops and he just weeps for the people because he knows they're not going to receive the king, get this now, there's a prophetic moment right here and if they don't take the king the prophecy is Jerusalem will fall okay and guess what happened 70 AD Jerusalem fell and Jesus knew this is the start of that and within one generation was the fall of Jerusalem and so he wept for the people now I took a moment when I was working on this um, over the last few weeks and I asked myself the question. I cry, not often, but, but over what? Ask yourself that question. I cry over what people do to me, right? I, you cry over what people do to you. But do you cry for people? I mean, do you cry because they're not making the right decisions or where they're headed in life? You ever cried? You ever cried not because someone hates you, but because you you feel badly for them because they're missing out in life. You ever cried for somebody, not over somebody? What Jesus was doing was he was not crying because. He would be dying upon a cross, paying for our sins. He wasn't crying because he knew he was about to be crucified. No, he was crying, go back to the text. When he saw the city, he wept, not over the crucifixion, but he wept over the city. Let me encourage you this week, as you drive home from work and you enter your subdivision, ask God to give you the heart for your subdivision that Jesus had for the city when you just when you pull in oh god may i have the heart that jesus had for jerusalem may i have that for my subdivision for our county because if it doesn't turn to christ we're in real trouble jesus isn't crying over the cross or the crucifixion he's crying over the people and it really it really begs the question over where our values are and where where our hearts have to be if we want to be close to Jesus, I, I implore you this week, give yourself to have the heart that Jesus would have. Now, we still aren't there yet. Jesus is still um, coming into the city. And you have to know, Jesus is the only one who really knows what's going to happen because he is now, he is the prophet. But because he's the priest, um, people are in this party mode uh, and they're, they're living it up big because Jesus is big right now, very, very popular. You've seen that before. When the winning teams are winning, we all switch jerseys and go with that team, right? That's what's happening. That's Palm Sunday. But he also knows this is going to turn badly quickly. And so, so he is filled with compassion like a priest and he really cares and because he really cares, he knows ultimately he is going to win. He knows it's going, to, it's going to wash, it's going to come good, but it's going to be difficult for a season. And because it's difficult for a season, it doesn't mean he's going to bail. It means he's going to set his, you ever had to set your jaw or set your posture or you know, set your head a certain way to know you're going to do the right thing? I think that's what's happening with Jesus at this point. He knows ultimately he will win. But he knows this trek is not the most popular. And so that begs the final question. The final question is this. Since I know that Jesus ultimately wins, and since I know Jesus ultimately rules, why not follow him now? There's a lot in that that you could be working on this week. But let me help you just get started. We know Jesus ultimately wins. And we know he ultimately will rule. But we also know not every day is going to be a happy, happy, happy day, like that one theologian who has ducks. What's his name? Not every day is gonna be a happy day. But if you could pick the bracket this week, and you have the bracket between honoring Jesus and going on the winning side, or dishonoring Jesus and going to the loser bracket, could I tell you it's obvious to me? Pick the winning choice this week. And if that means saying no to something that is unholy and impure, you're saying, well, I'm gonna miss out on this. Yes, and if you pick that, you'll miss out on the winning bracket. My word to you today is to choose the winning bracket every opportunity you can this week. And when you do that, you're not only saying yes to the winning bracket, to Jesus, at every point, at honesty, at integrity, at speaking the name of Jesus, of being filled with grace and truth, of being more patient and loving and kind. When you say yes to those things, it puts you further and further into the winning bracket, more like Jesus. And the other thing it does, it gets you further and further away from the losing bracket. Here's what I find is this, Sometimes when people slip into the losing bracket, you know what they do? They just go, oh, "I just give up." You ever done that? You're on a diet. You did something, you know. You put something on some sandwich. You did something. And you say, "Oh, just forget it." Hagen dies, Here we go. You know, forget the spoon. Just drop your head in the bucket. You know, and and then you go, oh. and then. You wonder, uh, how did that happen? What, you gave up too quickly. So when you find yourself at the moment of the tilt towards the loser bracket, correct. Okay, get back to the winning bracket. Go back to, what's the decision I could make that would lead me to follow Jesus in a way that would, in a way that would give him honor? Why do I know that? Uh, that that's the right thing, because... That's the winning bracket and I know who ultimately wins and it's Jesus. We sang it just a few moments ago, new song for us. Alive, he is alive in us. And no one can take that from us. I'm reminded of neither death nor life nor principalities. Nothing can take that from you. So uh, this week, what I want you to do as you get ready for Easter is this. Make the choices of the winning bracket. Ask yourself, this is what Jesus would do? Not that, but this. Not that, but this. As you do that this week, you will be crowning him king. You will be seeing not only his prophetic moments, but his ministering priestly moments. And you will be getting yourself ready um, for one great Easter weekend where we crown him king together. Amen? Amen. Let's bow together for prayer. And let's stand as we pray. This is a great lesson for us, Lord, such a familiar one, and yet so essential to the cross. Without the triumphal entry and without uh, the the conflict, we we don't realize, Lord, uh, what Jesus went through for us. So now, dear Father, seal to our hearts, we are the people who will make the decisions to follow you forever. On the good days, on the easy days, and on the tough days. I'm going to ask you, just right where you're standing, everybody to make the decision. Lord, this is my day, right here, right now. I'm choosing the winning bracket, every opportunity I can this week. When I have the opportunity to choose righteousness and truth and patience, justice, grace, mercy, when I have those opportunities to make those choices, Lord, give me strength to make them and make them well. And we pray this to the glory of Christ, our risen Savior. And the church says, amen. Amen.